0: n-e-t-s-u-i-t-e dot com slash w-t-f <laughs> all right let's do this how are you what the fuckers what the fuck buddies what the sickles? i am mark Marin. this is wtf i'm in my garage i'm at the cat ranch i got some i get emails i get things You know, now that I've started to occasionally reach out to those of you listening in situations that I might not be familiar with, at the front of wars, in laboratories, in the air. But I got, this is one, what do you call it, a subterranean what the fucker. Subject line, dispatch from the underground. Mark, I work in the Iron Mountain facility in Boyers, PA. 50 miles north of Pittsburgh, which is 220 feet underground. In these winter months, not only do I not see the sun unless it's through the webcam mounted outside... I obviously don't have any windows by my cubicle. Under these circumstances, it can get a little claustrophobic and depressing around here, so I just wanted to drop you a line and say thank you for doing what you do. You make these days down here a lot more bearable. I just started listening to your podcast a few weeks ago. Been playing a ton of catch-up. Keep up the good work. Andrew, underground the man every day, sitting there with all... The unique secrets and stuff that needs to be hidden away and stored properly, two hundred and twenty feet underground. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening wherever you are. I appreciate it. Today on the show, director uh, Danny Boyle, who is uh, the real deal. People, I mean, this dude. I was excited to talk to him. He did. He's done some amazing movies, man. Shallow Grave, Train Spotting, uh, Twenty Eight Days Later. Uh, what a dog millionaire 127 hours we talk a lot about the new steve jobs movie which i liked i liked the new steve jobs movie i would go see it if i were you I I know some people were saying well it's not not his real life but this movie has got such a frenetic pace it's so amazingly acted and when Aaron Sorkin clicks it clicks man there is a pace of dialogue between Winslet and Fassbender that is almost reminiscent of movies from the 40s and so clever and so quick and when Sorkin shit works it really fucking works and I didn't give a shit if this was the real Steve Jobs or a mythical Steve Jobs because the real Steve Jobs is kind of mythical anyways I don't know a lot about him I don't know a lot about Apple but this was really about you know the transition in technologies and the sort of the business of of him being pushed out apple and then you know doing his own whatever it doesn't even matter the back the backstory it's just the the dialogue pace of this movie and the way danny directed it and the way it was acted just seemed to be fucking beautiful symbiosis in terms of 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 movie making and you know and i'm not you know i'm not a pushover i just was very compelled I was compelled and excited at the way it all worked. It just had that pace of dialogue, like from the like Kate Hepburn and Cary Grant or something. Well, that's what I saw. And I, you know, what do I know? But I thought it was a great movie and I've liked a lot of Danny Boyle's movies. Oh, I wanted to pay a little lip service to my buddy Bob Forrest. You might know him as uh, Dr. Drew's uh, sidekick in the rehabs, but he was also the front man for a band called Thelonious Monster. And he's also put out this amazing album, a folk album called survival songs. And the reason I'm saying this is that I recorded uh, a WTF with him and that's coming up. And it was really one of the, it was a great one. There's a couple songs on that album. The serial song primarily is one of the best songs about drug addiction that I've ever fucking heard. Um, and I, and, and, and we had a nice long chat, but that's coming up that the WTF episode is coming up, but I wanted to let everyone in LA know that Bob's going to be performing at origami vinyl, on Sunset Boulevard this Saturday, December 12th, at 7 p.m. But if you just know him as the guy who's in rehab with Drew, you're missing something because he's somewhat of a, he's a very self-aware dude, a very sober dude, and, uh, and the folk songs are pretty, um, pretty heartfelt and deep. And I'm telling you, man, the serial song on Bob Forrest's uh, new record, Survival Songs, is, I think, one of the best uh, drug addiction songs that i have ever heard and i, I mean and that's not nothing and i uh, look forward to a wtf with me and bob coming up i've been watching a lot of movies i'm getting a lot of screeners is it is today perhaps the day that i do some quick uh movie reviews because of the screeners i've seen between us i went to a screening of uh, anomalisa this is the new charlie kaufman movie it's uh, all done in um stop action animation by the guy he co-directed it with. Uh, the guy's name's Duke. Did, he did Moral Oral, does a lot of the uh, Dino and Dan Harmon stuff. I'm sure you've seen his work before, but it's a Charlie Kaufman script. And uh, it's fucking soul-shattering. And so simple. It's, uh, it's, it's bleak poetry at its best. It's a grown-up movie done in in this stop-action animation, but it the depth of the emotion and the character... In, in, this, in this animated piece, this film by Charlie and Duke. I feel like I should know that guy's last name. Duke Johnson, Charlie Kaufman. Obviously, Kaufman's a genius. He did Adaptation. He did Synecdoche, New York, his big uh, uh, opus that he directed. He did Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, being John Malkovich. Uh, he's, a, he's a brilliant writer. And this movie did not disappoint on any level. It's dark, it's intense, it's relatable, and it's mind blowing. And I want so much for Charlie Kaufman to come talk to me. And I asked him, I asked him right up to his face, I said, Do you want to come talk to me on WTF? I said, I can't do it. Too personal. I said, it Doesn't have to be personal, man. I'm a big fan of your work. Let's do it, man. Let's talk about the movie. Let's talk about your other movies. Let's talk about writing. Let's talk about comedy. He wrote with uh, Louie and the guys, and uh, Smigel and Dino on that Dana Carvey project. I mean, I don't know, man. I you know sometimes this show gets a reputation that I just sit here and make people cry, which has only happened a few times. Now I seem to be the one that's crying, but it's a beautiful movie. I would see that when it comes out. I don't know if it's a family film or an upbeat Christmas movie, but it's certainly a movie if you're a grown-up that can handle uh, being a grown-up in all its uh, in all its uh, complicated manifestations. I would definitely see this film. Also, I saw Sicario. Is that the name of it? I thought that Benicio del toro was going to assassinate me through my screen that's how fucking great a performance it was and uh emily blunt amazing um josh brolin amazing all the supporting cast amazing and it's a story about mexican drug cartels and it's fucking leveling man it's it's spectacular i mean and i'm again not a pushover not paid to do this good movie trying to be honest uh what else what else what else what else did i watch i feel like there's more Oh, uh, what the hell was that Western I watched with uh, with Michael Fassbender? Slow West. That's what I saw on the on the plane. I liked it. It's hard to do a, a, a nice Western, but I thought that was a kind of an interesting angle and a pretty good Western. Let's you know, let's talk to a let's talk to a film director. Let's go now to my conversation with Danny Boyle, uh, the director of the Steve Jobs movie, Swim Dog Millionaire, 127 Hours, Twenty Eight Days Later. A lot of a lot of great films your podcasts talk. I'm very excited you're here. Oh, wait, so you have the president here? The president sat right there, and he left his cup right here. Then I put a glass dome over it because that's the kind oh of. Oh my God! I look am. at it. It's not serious. Yeah, no. It's like that's he, he. He had a cup, and he just left it here. I. I I imagine I don't know if he was that self aware, but you never know with politicians. How self aware are they? Yeah. In his mind, that he's like, "I'm going to leave Marin the cup," <laughs> but I didn't know what else to do with it. I, I, they're, they're no, was a, a brilliant idea, is not it? Yeah, yeah, it's a little like uh, it's a little much, but I'm like, I, "What am I? I got to do something." <laughs> so uh, yeah, he was uh, he was in here. But tell me, like, what yeah. do you know, Steve McQueen? Well, no, I
1: mean I have met him a couple of times. I I did some. Kind of not promotion work. I did some support work for Twelve Years a Slave when they were on the kind of Academy Trail last year. You know, I introduced a couple of screenings and did a Q and A with him. And oh, really? So I've just said hello to him and stuff like that. Th- but, but I
0: like his films a lot. Like, but I that Hunger movie was referred to me by uh, Lynn Shelton. She's an independent filmmaker out of Seattle, and she said I got to see that. And I just was, uh it, but. I was devastated by it, but it's interesting that you know you're able to focus in on it being a. It's about the body, and it's about the 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 sacrifice yeah. and the the real meaning of that type of protest, to turn. and the depth of it.
1: But for a for a for a you know because he's British and to to be able to turn. Because the, the subject is in, intractable
0: yeah, and it is impossible to deal with. Historically, you yeah. can't just do like, uh, uh, it's hard to do one of those movies that would encapsulate the entire struggle.
1: And, it, and, it, and Because it separates people. And right. He made a film that you can all approach as human beings. Right. Which is impossible in Northern Ireland. It was impossible. And I was astonished at his film, yeah. And I loved 12 Years a Slave. I thought it was
0: great. Yeah. That's another thing, though, too, a very specific focus on the body. Because yes. there is that, that one scene where you know, the devastating whipping, yes, and, and then you know, it really brings home the human element and pain and yeah. torture and damage of, of, of a person, yeah
1: wow. and, su- and suffering. Yeah. I mean, just oh. <laughs> when he was hung outside all day. And and the way he shot that, it's just anyway. He is an uncompromising artist, and uh, truly, and Michael is as well. Which yeah. is like, which is one of the reasons that we cast him as Jobs actually, because I thought we need that, because otherwise you, we'll get lost in is he nice, is he not nice, you know? You just, right. I need an actor who's absolutely not going to do any of that. He's just going to uncompromise. I mean, and Michael's like that. He's just. He zones in laser-like on what the truth is, and he yeah. just goes after that, and he doesn't give a fuck what anybody thinks or says. It's like that. Really? Oh, yeah.
0: Now, you'd never worked with him before? I had never. known. I tried to cast him
1: in a couple of movies, but Which ones? never worked out. I'd, I'd met him and uh he was in i tried to get him in trance uh-huh. which is this film i did before right and the uh, the producer i worked with christian he was in a film he did
0: when you deal with a guy because i in my mind or or as an, an american or as a well Eddie, as a film person you know people like fassbender they just come out of nowhere you're like uh-huh. where was this guy <laughs> you know <laughs> but he was around oh yeah he was where did he come from originally well, he's, he's 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 born in Germany, right? Brought up
1: in Ireland, right? So he's a proper European, right? I actually avoided Britain, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, I know this probably won't interest you, you <laughs> no, it sure but it's, it's very interesting. interesting, of course, where he where, where, what he comes out of. And I've worked with a lot of Celtic actors, yeah, Irish and Scottish actors, yeah. I just there's something about them because they're not in the main body or belly of Britain, yeah. They're kind of. Around the edges and Ireland's had a tortured history with Britain uh, of oppression and um, you get these extraordinary actors come out of it I think and I've worked with a, a bunch of them and they give you something very very special I don't think you get with the British actors personally. Um, something I'm, connected To the ground uh, Maybe it is that <laughs> <laughs> The smell The greens The working people I don't know what it is it's, There's something there though I mean he's interesting Because he was in The Tarantino movie That's where people Probably oh, yeah, don't yeah, yeah, remember yeah. him From it In Glorious Bastards And he had the touch Of the Cary Grant In him there Oh yeah Which yeah. people don't know But he's a very funny man Is he He's intense So people don't think He's funny Right he's a very witty
0: man Yeah Oh yeah Him and Winslet together You get him and Kate Winslet Together It's funny Well that, that was know? the interesting Thing that I noticed about I went and saw the movie, what I couldn't get out of my head when I left. Was, you know, I'm familiar with Sorkin's writing and it's very specific. It's not necessarily how people talk, but there's a lyricism to it, there's a rhythm to it, and there's a truth to it. And if the actor is a good enough actor, you don't think about the fact that no one loads this much information into <laughs> no, a sentence. can
1: speak like That's this. <laughs> right.
0: But you know where they did speak like that? Is in like the Philadelphia story, yes. is in those movies from the 40s. So, like the thing that you yeah. talk about in the banter, like the thing I walked away with, like it is a lot like the pace of those films from the 40s where where it was just back and forth very witty very clever and and because the actors were so focused it was beautiful and it's also one of a big problem with doing films
1: like this is how do you depict like geniuses, or right? Very, very, very bright people, right. Who actually socially are not that adept. Often,
0: right, right. right. <laughs>
1: but, you yeah. know, it comes, it comes with it. And of course, he does it through language. Yeah, he does it, and not, and not like vocabulary. It's not like, um, it's they never say anything that's particularly sensationally, you know, elaborate. But the eloquence with which they speak and the speed of right. mind, right. and the speed of thought is a way that you actually realise you're in the presence of people like. Wozniak, who's a genius, right. but how you depict him, and you just do it through speed of thought, and it's the rhythm of, and he does it through rhythm, soaking, and then, and that connects it with human beings because it, it feels like we talk like that, right. or we wish we did. Right? It, it's recognisable. It's not in the stratosphere of something that we can't relate to. It's, right? It's using something we all know, like language, as a way of depicting stuff we probably don't know about, like algorithms and physics and all
0: the stuff they actually do. These people, in. right? And they sort of like just pay a little bit of lip service to that. Yeah, uh, to, yeah, yeah. Occasional mentions of stuff. Well, right, so so you were aware of that. You know, how did the relationship with Sorkin begin around this movie and you?
1: It was they they had a they had a director David Fincher who did Seven and uh, um, Social Network, yeah. which Sorkin also wrote. It was an amazing yeah. film actually, the fa- about the Facebook um, thing and. Um, but they fell out. I don't know what happened to them. They all... Anyway. Oh, really? Anyway, yeah. <laughs> one of those things? Yeah, one of those Hollywood Somebody things. Somebody
0: got mad at something. And-
1: I, I'm very lucky I don't live in Hollywood, so I get to hear about stuff like this, but I never really get to fully understand it. Right. So I keep a kind of naivety about stuff like that. Anyway, so they sent me the script. Scott Rudin, who's who they call the the mean guy who does great stuff. That's, no, yeah. <laughs> that's what I've, they I've, call him in his office. That's yeah. not my description of him. Yeah. Um, anyway, he sent it, and he said... um, do you want to do it? And I said, and I read it and I I was I was amazed. I, I got that thing you get sometimes where you think this is so bold just as a way. What about
0: of, it? What, what resonated with you immediately? It's so unexpected
1: a way of dealing with him but mm-hmm. it's not trying to capture everything. It's just going, no, just look at these three little bits because it's obviously set before the launches of three different products at three different... But just the 40 minutes real time before he goes on stage. Right. And then you never really see him on stage because it kind of denies you that because you've got that on YouTube anyway. It's all there. Right. So I loved that about it. And then there was the father-daughter thing in it, which I actually found very moving because it's it's difficult stuff, some of it. But, but, you know, I've got two daughters and when you can relate to something like that, just instinctively, you just go well that 's sort of mine as well, you know you kind of begin sure. or, you begin ownership everybody of it. feels
0: that you know if you have parents or you have children you you, you know everyone has a, a somewhat strained relationship with a parent and boy, is that like that on this
1: and 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 you you know and i 've made sacrifices in bringing them up yeah. you know pursuing a career and stuff and and I Your hope, kids. I, yeah, I hope not as bad as 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 is depicted with him you know some of the stuff um. But, but it's there, yeah, I do. But
0: it's interesting because you're dealing with, uh, right out of the gate, and I didn't realize that's really, that is the way it's broken down. It's broken down into three parts, all of them, the 40 minutes before uh, a presentation. Yeah. Well, I, I don't even, I, I, I guess I was so caught up in the pace of it, I didn't really, even really think of the location of things. With some flashbacks yes, to the garage, yes, to younger yeah. people, Yeah. Uh, you have throw the garage, and garages are important, <laughs> as I know. But right out of the gate, he's, it's hard to like him. Uh, he, 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 you understand historically that he's a genius and I'm not even sure that we're dealing with, I, was your, was it a concern of yours to get the truth of, of, uh, of what happened or the truth of the character? How do you, where are you sitting with that? How do you, it's like a real problem with real people <laughs> and with biopics in general. Yeah. Because
1: that you, if you're going to do fact stuff, just mm. facts. They're completely contradictory. It depends who you talk to. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, that. You, like you can't rely on, you think, well, I thought that was true. And right. And somebody else says, no, that's not. That's so, not what
0: happened at all, right? So
1: what you trust is actually something different, which you can't, doesn't stand up in a court of law. Mm-hmm. I, I have to say, I have to be, you know, but you trust your own bullshit detector. You go, you read something, you think, I think that feels truthful. Yeah. I, I believe that. And then you pass it through a series of other filters, which are your actors and your colleagues, the people you work with, you trust. And they also do the same thing. And you arrive, you hope at something. And again, it's not, you know, it can't stand up. I, I know, like facts supposedly can, but I trust it almost more in a way that you feel. And I believed it. And I thought that will, and I've kept, and it's had a very checkered history. We've had lots of problems on it, but I kept faith in that the whole time, that feeling of, no, I think that feels, that is an artist talking actually, Trying to reach for a man about whom he knows some things, and he's intuiting other stuff. And then there are the rules of drama, which follow their own course about stuff that emerges when you put characters together. But you read it and you go, "I believe that. I think that's true." And I think, and it's, and it is because I think if it wasn't, we the, the the lawyers at Apple would have us
0: over a barrel. You know, sure. So when you say. So We're dealing with the human truth uh, because what you said at the beginning, when you have a banter like between Winslet and and Fassbinder, that that the characters were very well defined yes and very quickly, and you I guess you have to be very aware with that because these are pretty complex characters who are not emotionally conversational yeah no that 's a good point yeah and and but it's it has to be there somewhere, Yes. and part of that dynamic between them is is. As they both get older, you know, Winslet becomes, you you know, more insistent that that Steve is possible is capable of emotionally connecting.
1: Yes, she is. And she's also she's she's begun to realize that she has allowed him too much. Right. She's carrying the burden. Yeah. She's actually allowed him to behave like that. And she's she says herself she's complicit in, in the way that he has behaved towards his daughter, his first daughter, and that he has to. Make make that make right, make it, that right, because all the success in the world, and he is about to hit staggering success with the launch of the iMac, which is the third one you see, and he's about to break through to everywhere yeah and and change the world, make the dent in the universe he talks about, and she says that's no good unless you have made peace with actually those
0: who love you in a way that is more important than all the product. People love you. Well, it's kind of brilliant and and risky that you you hung the resolution of your movie on on a fairly intimate moment that that you know could have. How many times did you have to? I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, <laughs> but you know you get this whole arc of history and a guy that changed the world with his technology and his persistence and his genius for for design and marketing and and and. Uh, and, and and just uh, salesmanship. Yes. But the the whole balance of the film emotionally is, is really hanging on those last two t- scenes. Yes. And the last scene is not even spoken. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And that's, that's, the, that's the wonderful thing about stepping behind the structure. You step behind the scenes of three product launches. Because in a way, you're saying, because we're behind the screen, anything could happen. Mm-hmm. You know, we, and we make our own. You know, I'm sure those scenes didn't actually take place factually with they the feel, clock ticking yeah but they feel true
0: yeah he's very good at devices i think that like you, you know like sorkin with his experience with writing television is very good at pacing and also good at, at, at adding a, a level of menace you know, just and even if just we don't yeah. we always start on time yeah there's a pacing people thing. keep saying that about
1: we can't start late we can, we're a computer company we right. can't start late what right. time is it right stuff like that yeah he's very good at those that mechanisms. did stuff. you get along with him Talking, Yeah. Yeah, I did, actually. He's yeah. got a very tricky reputation. Yeah. You know, as being a, a, a stickler for no changes and stuff like that.
0: I heard they gave that to him. Did they give that to them? How do you mean give it to him? Well, I mean, he was able to do this movie with, with fairly uh, autonomy.
1: No. I mean, it, it was like... I mean, I a director gets final cut if you're lucky. Not right. That, not that it means that much, ultimately. It's, right. a, it's a bit of an illusion, that thing. But... But... Um, but I have that. I'm lucky enough to. But have as a that, writer, that. but as a writer, you wouldn't get that. He may have got that on his TV series, but you wouldn't get that on a movie. But he, no
0: one fucked with the script. It was just you guys. You know what he did? Because uh, he changed it. Well, he did. Yeah, no, because we
1: we, we we would discuss changes with him when he do them, and then when the actors come on board, he's incredibly flexible. When he knows they've got the rhythm of it, right, and can and he can hear them, they know it's right. He's actually uh, uh, he's a he's a theatre person. He's a collaborator. He he
0: he'd love to make changes. So he was on set the whole time.
1: Yeah, we had him there the whole time and i like was I, that I, your choice yeah well i like writers being around I, I try i mean most of them don't want to in the end because it is pretty boring <laughs> even if you love your work <laughs> as much as aaron loves yeah. his own work you know it still can be very very tedious the amount of repetition and stuff like that but um no he was around the whole time and i loved having him around yeah
0: well it's interesting that you talk about theater because you you come from theater right Originally, yeah. And it, it, it's also interesting in this movie, uh, uh, not, the other ones aren't quite that, but I mean, I want to talk about the other movies and styles in a second, but a lot of these took place in theatres. Yes, I mean, I, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I know. I'm sure that's why Rudin... Rudin, who knows I'm a kind of... Originally a theatre guy. And I did a play in London called Frankenstein, which was a bit of a hit, and I'm sure Rudin thought, oh, you know, the whole theatre thing, he'll be suitable mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I'm a big... I, I got into theatre... I actually was a cinema lover but I couldn't where I come from in Britain there was no way you could get into cinema I mean, you just couldn't. Where, so, what? Where was that? I come from Manchester, which is an industrial town in the northwest of England. And I come from a working class background. And I don't really, there's no real route in. I mean, there's lots of, bit, Ridley But Scott. you're Irish, right? Yeah, originally Irish. Yeah, yeah. the family's all Irish. I but Ridley say. Scott? But Ridley Scott is from a working class background in the northeast of England. And he got in. So there are ways you can do it. But it doesn't look like you can. That's mm-hmm. um, why so I went into
0: the theater. And it's it's yeah. interesting you bring up Ridley Scott. Because there is something you guys have in common. That you're incredibly proficient, amazing directors but but you can really adapt to material that like some directors they're like it's my point of view and yeah. then the material will run through my vision yeah but it seems that you guys are open enough and confident enough to take on material and then suit the direction to the material oh good well thank you
1: no i mean I'm, <laughs> does that I'm, make I'm, sense to you? yeah yeah it does actually i'm i kind of i'm i i love telling different stories if i can and the terror is that they're all the same. You think they're all different, and you want them to be different. <laughs> and actually, somebody comes up to you and says, it's the same film as last time, really, isn't it? And they point out certain features, and you go, oh, right, okay, yeah. Yes. But that's, that's when you go, that's my style. A guy's got style. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> but you, you're worried about, because you, you make a big thing about, oh, come and see my films. They'll, they'll all be different. You'll have a surprise. You know, they'll all feel very different. And, of course, in reality, they don't, because you're just forging just one story all the time, unfortunately, anyway.
0: But is it one story? I mean, do you like? I, I mean, there, it seems that you've made some fairly diverse films, and and there is a, a you you seem to be heavy on the, uh, the the denouement and the and the catharsis, and and usually it's not going to end badly. I like a, I like a,
1: Raymond Chandler said every in every work of art there must be a quality of redemption, and I believe that I think there is a redemptive, it is a redemptive experience cinema. Yeah, the journey that you go on, and and that if it can engineer it without it being a if you can kind of let it emerge from the story without it being fake, that's an, it's an important ingredient in it. That journey, that lift you get as you come out of the cinema,
0: I like that, yeah. Well, that's, well, that's a, t- a type of cinema right yeah, because like in theater that's certainly not always the case
1: no no by no means it's, it's almost not antithet- i mean musical theater and stuff like that is a key ingredient in but uh regular theater no you're right dramatic theater no often not in fact quite quite the opposite of
0: yeah, yeah a lot of times you walk out of the theater going like oh, that oh was god i'm <laughs> really
1: bad about myself no i know it's true
0: <laughs> so you're you're growing up in manchester what kind of uh, family you have a big family uh, i got two sisters, um, I've got a twin, I'm a twin,
1: and I come from a very Catholic family, that's a big big f- f- factor uh-huh. in, in my upbringing, it was a very Catholic upbringing.
0: Yeah. It, was, it was a factor in the way that you, <laughs> you, you bought it because you had to and then eventually you pushed back? Yeah, and, and my mom, <laughs>
1: God bless her, yeah. um, she wanted me to be a priest more than anything in the world. Is that
0: true? Oh God. Why do they want that? What, what, I don't understand. Have you thought it through? Like, why would a mother say like this is because the, they think you're going to be safe? What What is it?
1: Yeah, I suppose it's kind of it sanctifies you in her eyes. It would sanctify her son, who she loved. and yeah. To have
0: him sanctified in her eyes would also, you know, despite whatever happiness he might want to have in his life. Yeah. It's more like, important to be sanctified. But it's also service. She was, sure. she, you know, there
1: was a, there was a goodness in it. In well, and mm-hmm. her view of the Catholic Church was that it was a a, a good thing that served the community. There's been it's had a very very checkered history, which I'm glad my mom wasn't really aware of before she passed away. Apparently, so, a
0: lot of people were not aware of it. Yeah. I mean,
1: most people anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so so I and it's weird. There are a number of film directors, very famous ones. Martin Scorsese is one who were going to be priests as well as I, I believe. But were you really going to do it? I mean, yeah, the, until fourteen, yeah. Oh, I, so but I was going to I was going to go to a, a, the seminary, which is where you, and then the, I was I was educated by a priest. I was at a school run by priests. A Salesian school. And this one priest said to me, I don't think you're cut out for it, you know. I'd wait a bit. Why do you think he said that? Because I think he saw that girls, Picasso, yeah, all these things were on the horizon and I was going to just be like... You know, after that. Picasso, sort of, of all things. Well, you know, all Sure. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah, <laughs> Cigarettes, yeah. Cigarettes. You know, uh, all, all the stuff. You know, the good the, stuff. <laughs> the good the stuff. temptations.
0: Yeah. All the seven deadlies. All the stuff is out yeah. there. Yeah, I think he a, thought he's yeah. probably one for
1: that, rather, yeah, yeah. Than,
0: rather than um Seems, seems like you're going to have a resistance. different struggle. Yeah. A different...
1: Uh, <laughs> A different fight ahead of you. Yeah. But it's very interesting because being a priest is like directing because mm-hmm. you ponce around, really, telling everybody what to do and think. Yeah. Which is basically what priests do. Sure. And, and you're kind of like... And it is like a congregation making a film. It's a lot of people who put their faith in you for, for a while. Right. Then they often lose it quite yeah. quickly. Could take years, yeah. <laughs> but they Hopefully. follow you for a bit into right. the into the wilderness yeah. or whatever.
0: You know? Well, unlike a movie, you, you, if, if everyone walked out of a... Of a of a service feeling like it was a theatrical production. I don't know that the church would last that long. But they went the other way. There is, I mean, that story that you're talking about, redemptive redemption, that, that is what Catholicism is supposed to be about in a way.
1: Yeah, but long term, it's just, it's, it's a lot of you suffering. Wait. You gotta wait a long time for and, that. And
0: you gotta really suspend your disbelief <laughs> for, for judgment the payoff. Day. Yeah. For Judgment Day, yeah, it's kind of gonna be anywhere out there. Yeah. yeah, that's not a big ticket seller. Yeah. Just wait. It could be a thousand years, could be a hundred. But did you find that when you were in the church, I mean, I don't know what size church you were in as a as a kid, but like when I traveled through Italy and some of Europe, I mean, those churches were designed to blow peasants' brains out. They were designed to sort of like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, and no, all those things. I mean, Spain and Italy, those things are built by generations
1: of families. And, and so brilliant the, artists. Yeah, and they, but you would spend like a... Like your, your grandfather and your father and your children would work on the same edifice. You right. building it over hundreds of years. I mean, they were extraordinary. No, I didn't come from anything like that. We had a brick built oh, and no. a fairly functional church. But, we, you know, I was expected to be there every day, which I was. And I was an altar boy, yeah. you know, serving on the altar and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, and I used to have to wake the priest up. So I'd go down for 7 o'clock mass and he wouldn't be up. You know, yeah. because he was a drinker. I realized right. all this stuff in retrospect. Right. And I'd have to ring the bell and get him up in order to do the service. And he'd come out and he'd have slippers on under his cassock. Yeah. Because I was kneeling down. I could see at eye level, he had his slippers
0: still on. He's ready to it. go back to bed in a couple hours. Yeah, he probably did, yeah. <laughs> Take a few confessions, hit the sack. <laughs> so when did, you, uh, when did you start to get involved with, um, you know, theater or, or arts in general? I used to
1: do, at, at school, I used to do the the assemblies, every every week there'd be a morning assembly on the Monday and there'd be bits of kind of, I guess they were kind of like displays. Mm-hmm. Or, and I used to do bits of drama for them I'd, and I'd organise them. I didn't realise that was directing, basically. You organise people, do you yeah. do this, you do that. And we used to do these skits about the Catholic Church, actually. Satirical
0: of, skits, or yes,
1: yeah, and see what we could get away with, because uh-huh. you know, you again, sure. we were seeing how far you could push it before yeah. you got dragged into the headmaster's office about what you were doing. Sure. So I used to do that, and then and then the English, I had a I had a brilliant English teacher. You know, it's the usual thing, yeah. Who just you know introduces you to
0: Shakespeare and you know and it's, what was it? What was the one thing that made you go like, oh my
1: god? Oh, I think with him. It was actually, funny enough, it was. I went to an all-boys all school, mm-hmm. taught by priests. This guy was a secular guy, yeah. It? But he taught us Jane Austen and one of the worst Jane Austen novels, which is called Northanger Abbey. Mm-hmm. It's just a terrible novel, yeah. And he's got thirty sixteen-year-old lads there, yeah. And he's persuading you of the genius of Jane Austen, and he persuaded me. And I, re- I remember thinking at the time, this is. I looked around my mates and I thought, he is. This guy is amazing because he's somehow bringing everybody to. Bringing everybody together on this, and I, anyway, anyway, it's a lovely ending. This story. There's a bit of redemption in this story, yeah. Because he encouraged me to do drama, and I went to college and did drama, and then I, and then I had a few successes in the theatre, and I and I directed eventually at the Royal Shakespeare Company, and I he'd retired by then, and I wrote to him, and I said, "Do you want to come and see a production I've done at one of your? You know, I'm one of your pupils from long, long yeah. ago, and I've done a production at the Royal Shakespeare Company, and he came down and watched it, and it was a and it. I've done some dodgy productions, but this one was a really good one. Yeah. This one worked, really worked. And he came along and he was so proud. It was really nice, you know? Yeah. And he died about a year later, passed away about a year later. So I was really proud I did that because he was like, he kind of changed my life and it was nice to actually show him that You know, because he loved the Royal Shakespeare Company, and to have one of his pupils. Yeah, I bet. Directing on the Royal Shakespeare Company in Stratford was pretty good. So
0: it was a pretty good day. That's amazing. And he came backstage and, you know. Yeah, he did all the stuff, you know, uh, all the stuff you do. So it was very, it was was lovely. Yeah, it was really nice. That's a beautiful story. So
1: you, you went to college for theater? No, I went to a regular, like we call them universities, Mm -hmm. and I went to not a prestigious one at all, uh, one in North Wales, Bangor in North Wales, which is kind of like attached to England on the side of England. It's a country on the side of England. I went there and we did a lot of drama and English and lots of acting. I did acting at first, and then I started to realize what directing was, and I started to do plays with other students. How were you as an actor? Loud. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> which is all you needed to be really at that time really loud and confident yeah overconfident because i have not many skills other than the volume yeah. really. but um <laughs> so so uh, and, I, and, I, and I, I, I began to direct, and I began to tell people what to do, which you get
0: addicted to. It's a terrible trait in yeah. directors. Uh, yeah, but it, it, there's a certain real confidence in leadership that it has to, I guess, eventually occur, depending on what kind of director you are. Yeah, I guess it must take a bit of time to learn how to be diplomatic and respectful and still get what, what, you, what you want done.
1: Yeah, it involves cunning, that. Yeah. You have to have a certain amount of low animal cunning uh-huh. to get what you want when you can't go about it just with brutalism alone. You have to use other techniques. To get there.
0: Yeah. yeah. I guess some directors, as they get more respected and deliver enough, uh, 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 you know, money-making products, can become pretty brutal.
1: They can. There is a, there is. That's a character trait amongst some directors. It is. I don't share that. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting doing the jobs because he clearly had that. You know, there was an element of that in him as he tried to change the world. He did it through slashing and burning everything in his path you know and refusing to acknowledge the past which is you see in the film on a personal level with his daughter and obviously on a on a on a, on a product level with with his res- resistance to Wars and Wars wants him to acknowledge the apple II, and that he's standing on the shoulders of giants but his only
0: focuses the future you know and trying to
1: change the mindset about computers
0: so all right so where do you go right after college you start working in theater and television or what I went
1: to uh, I got a job in theatre I wrote away to a theatre company who, who toured Britain yeah quite a political company called Joint Stock Theatre Company and I asked if they had a job and I got a job as a driver and theatre's very it, it promotes internally if you get on well you you can become almost an apprentice to what you want to be right within the within the system itself because it's all then
0: about you know you just move on to job to job so i that's I, a classic shakespearean sort of model everyone's involved the collaboration begins driving driving yeah driving yeah. the truck sweeping the stage making a yeah. tea
1: yeah. all that kind of stuff and then and yeah and then and then you work your way up and i became an assistant director and and then you get you get to do your own show eventually at some point you know so i did a few shows like that and shakespeare and, uh i never done a shakespeare Never. The only one I've never done, yeah. Ever? I've done. I've done Ibsen, Ben Johnson, all those guys, mm-hmm. but never done a Shakespeare. Now, why? I don't know. Never really been offered one. Never kind of had the absolute confidence to do one. It is like a benchmark for a theatre director. It's like, can you do it? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so no, I've never done one yet. But watch this space. Who knows? I might get offered one. Do you like still a chance? Do you d- still direct theatre? I do do occasionally. Yeah, I directed. a I was just mentioning that we did the show Frankenstein in. The National Theatre in London, which was um with Benedict Cumberbatch in, yeah. who's people know about now, and Johnny Lee Miller, and they swapped the parts of Frankenstein and the creature every night. They kind of switch parts. Oh, really? Which is
0: very cool. Yeah. Was it stripped down? Was it more of a? No, it was big production. Oh, was. I mean, it was like um, sparse but big. Yeah, yeah. So, was there makeup with the monster and? The yeah, whole... there were stitches and stuff like that. Oh, but it okay. was interesting.
1: It's because it was it was actually the first. Um, it was the first time as far as we could find that the story had ever been told from the creature's point of view so it's like grendel which is weird yeah yeah? you never you never kind of uh, it's such an extraordinary character in our mythology now in our cultural mythology and yet it had never been right shown from his perspective
0: yeah the sensitivity of the the and also
1: somebody being born into adulthood Uh because that's weird it was like a birth but an adult is being born Uh uh-huh um, so that was a, a fantastic process for the stage to,
0: to illustrate that story on the stage. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And it was well received.
1: It was good. Yeah. It yeah. was a bit of a hit.
0: And then when do you start working with the uh, cameras? So I went to Northern Ireland.
1: I, I couldn't get a what job. What year? Uh, so 75. Yeah. Um, and I, um, was it gnarly no, no no 75 85 okay 85 to 89 i was there i uh, yeah it was it was it wasn't the worst time there but it was you know there was tension serious tension it's an amazing place northern ireland because the bbc I, I got a job with the bbc making television drama with them there and they the people are oh, the loveliest people
0: i love ireland i was just oh, there I, I, I don't you know i you know, i'm a jew from Eastern European background, but I go to Ireland. There's like part of me's like, I think I'm home. Oh, I, think I don't I'm know how, how is that possible. Well, it's, good. It's, it's 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 why they produce such great writers. People talk. They tell you
1: stories. The sense of chat. Yeah, the crack as they oh, call yeah. it. It was just and just the, such an the important. The landscape part, is my
0: life. Is, yeah. is just dev. It's just beautiful. It's very beautiful. Yeah.
1: Anyway, but there was this terrible. And I must admit, <sighs> I when I left, I thought I don't think they'll ever. Cu- change that I, I can't see how it will ever get resolved the differences right? right. and astonishingly because it's rare to say this about politicians they did they changed and they found an accommodation with each other and it's you know there are still some problems but it's, yeah. the landscape has changed it's unrecognisable now, you know, the, the, and they've managed to establish some harmony amongst the communities, which and, is astonishing. So, but I, but I learnt camera stuff there, yeah.
0: In you, you worked for the BBC in Northern Ireland doing TV drama, TV dramas, one-hour TV dramas, and working with Irish actors. Well, I, yeah, lots of Irish actors. Yeah, maybe that's where it all began. Yeah, and that. Yeah, and,
1: no, that's probably right. I Actually, did yeah,
0: and and you, you there was something about. Their, I guess it's probably their humanity, really, because like you know when you talk the way you're talking about fast Does he pronounce it fast or fast Fastbinder. Fast bender. So because like it's interesting. He's Germany. He grew up in Ireland, but there, there, there's a there, one of the things with actors, and I think with very well trained actors, is that sometimes there's 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 not a lot of uh, interior life. Yeah, can, yeah, uh, you occasionally. Can yeah, you could, yeah. It, but that's not necessarily a negative thing. I mean, their yeah. talent is their talent. I mean, there's obviously talent and they're, but they're, you know, some, and some of them are, are, are more characters than others. But, but I think what ha- what you're trying to, what we're trying to pinpoint before is, is that in Ireland that, you know, just by nature of being, a citizen of that place, there's an inner life in a way, and a, and a poetry. Yeah, they're
1: ordinary poets. They always say that a but slight yeah. darkness to the soul. Yeah, which will come with the poetry. But they're ordinary poets. They feel like they're not. It's not a class structured right. society. Right. They feel like ordinary people, and yet they're poets as well. At the same time, they've always had that, and I love that about them. Whereas you often to find that kind of romantic in a British actor, it's often often in the closet, and you right. have to kind of. Bring it out, encourage it out. It's always there with the Celtic actors. I think right, it's right up front. Yeah, you get it with them. Yeah, I mean, if you if you work with them well, and and it's why when they often it's not true with Michael, but often when they leave their accent behind, they sacrifice a lot because right. it's wrapped in with the accent. Well, I think as well. I think
0: what you're talking about really hits on it, is that when there's a class structure that you know in 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 England and certainly that you do have some of that organic kind of it's a unique human connection of conversation that happens in the lower classes yes and and then once you start moving up there's it's that sort of stiff careful. upper lip it's of shit. more careful yeah much Suddenly, more careful it's much
1: more careful because you worry about the impression you make and we're saying all, the wrong thing all that kind of stuff losing power kick, all that stuff kicks in yeah wow and, and we're riddled with it in britain and st- in england especially and still where scotland which has just elected its own a uh-huh. party to virtually dominate the Scottish Nationalist Party, which is campaigning for independence. It's an extraordinary... will be a seismic moment if it happens, mm-hmm. you know, where the United Kingdom, as it's called, is yeah. wrenched apart. Mm. Scotland has not taken part... Scotland has begun their own conversation about their future, uh-huh. you know, which is which is very exciting. Yeah. to witness it's very worrying for England because we'll be <laughs> a much smaller place without the Scots. But and and and, and 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 we we cling hold of a bit of Ireland, Northern Ireland. But Ireland remains a huge. I mean, so many people are. So many people are Irish in Britain anyway. Oh, yeah. I mean, working class areas, because the immigration into Britain from Ireland was enormous. And my parents came, you know, mm-hmm. in the 50s and, you know, and, and sure. many, 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 many to other people. To make a better
0: life. Yeah. Well, I noticed one thing about Ireland. There's not a lot of immigrants coming in. Well, it's kind of reversed, as I believe. It's actually, it has, it has changed because has it's it? actually,
1: yeah, it's reimagined itself in a, in a, in a, in a, in a more almost metropolitan way. Uh-huh. Dublin's quite a little bit. Yeah, Dublin's more, more metropolitan now, so and they and they encouraged artists
0: to come to. So there has been a, it has gone back the other way a little bit. But are they mostly expats or or people that have familial connection to Ireland? I mean, I didn't get the sense that there's a lot of people from other countries, no, you know, sort of flocking. <laughs> there's You're still right, sort of an, uh, an island ex- issue yeah. there. You, yeah, you know what I mean? people with cultural heritage there. Yeah. Oh, Dublin's yeah, great. It's yeah. a beautiful hotel. It was the nicest hotel I stayed in my hotel, my entire trip. Fantastic. That yeah. was great. So so you yeah. start making movies what what inspired you to make you know that you could make movies well i don't know it's arrogance I mean, really isn't it i guess but I'm like well, who were your fr- your your guys who are your directors that you were like this you know this seems possible to me and this is what i want to do
1: well i i used to go to this I, obviously, I was like 16, 17, mm-hmm. and I was in search, as you always are, of sex, really. Yeah. <laughs> Anywhere you can Still, find. Still, that just doesn't swear. stop. It doesn't stop suddenly. <laughs> it's but I used to go to the cinema because there was some on offer there, mm-hmm. you know, and I looked older than 16, because right. in Britain, to get into an X film or a film, an adult film, right. you had to be 18, and I looked older than my mates, so I used to buy the tickets and we'd all sneak in. But I used to go to this art cinema in Manchester called the Aben Cinema. Thank God for those art cinemas. I know, and they used to show all these incomprehensible films that I really didn't understand. Yeah, <laughs> but they often had lashings of sex in them, yeah. um, like well, what the Italian movies. Oh or? yeah, a lot of movies, uh, French movies, a uh, Spanish movie, Nada. I remember seeing. Nada, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of, uh, there were lots of them. Anyway, yeah. but what I've learned subsequently. Anyway, I did love them as well. Yeah. There was something about them that I that I uh, there was something very very. Special about them. Um, um, what's he called? Topo El Topo. Yeah, El um, Topo. Yeah, yeah, El Topo. I yeah. remember seeing that. And um, but um, I've sub- subsequently learned from his biography. I think. That uh, Morrissey from the Smiths was yeah. also there at exactly the same time. Wow! Because I'm exactly the same age as him, so yeah. we, And he was obviously on the same t- sad yeah. trajectory of looking for something <laughs> that wasn't there in your life, and we found it yeah. in the yeah. Aben Cinema,
0: in the Dark Searchers, yeah, <laughs> the poets. <laughs>
1: anyway, so yeah. um, I did that, and then and then. Oh, the big thing was I saw Clockwork Orange.
0: Oh, yeah. Before it was banned, because it was banned in Britain. Well, that's interesting, Clockwork Orange, because it seems to me that if I think about it just impulsively now, that that sort of informs train spotting a little bit. Big time. Stylistically. Oh,
1: big time, yeah. It was huh. a huge kind of like, I mean, we copied large sections of his film. Oh, really? <laughs> and the way you bought, you borrow as a homage, as anything, whatever. So, but um, mostly in the cutting and the humor, right? Yes. right. Yes, it had that kind of sense of that black humor. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Um, that was a big factor, seeing that. And then, and then as I said, I went into theatre, but I always wanted to do cinema. And, and, uh, and, uh, and I continued that relationship with cinema. And, I, and I, uh, through the Northern Ireland process, I began to learn how to use a camera at the BBC there. And then eventually I got a movie called Shallow Grave. These guys had written the script, and they were looking for a director. And they'd had a couple of conversations with people which they hadn't enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And I went in, and I told the truth which is, I said, have you've stolen large sections of Blood Simple <laughs> and, simply, <laughs> and simply changed the background. And the has sort of nodded, yes, that was true. And I said, I think we should do more stealing from other places. And, no, we, we, we found an affinity of the fact that we were going to make something for the new energy in cinema that there was, in independent cinema, which, mm-hmm. was, which was both original but delicious as well. It what year
0: was that? That was like... Uh, 94. Uh, yeah, we yeah. got 94, yeah. So, okay, so the Coens had started to make their first couple of movies and the new independent cinema was sort of happening in America, a a lot of it.
1: Yeah, and it it was delicious Mm because it was was interesting and it was also accessible and attractive Mm -hmm. and had a wit and and a scurrilousness that was like delicious like i say
0: right and what uh what was your relationship with irving you know welsh the in train spotting? how'd that come about well we made this film shallow gray which did quite well Um, right yeah
1: it was a big hit in france Uh it's weird the french love films where friends fall out with each other and start killing each other they love films about you know a bunch of friends disintegrating
0: this this is pre this is pre pre pre-redemption uh, uh, yeah. Yes, there wasn't much redemption in that. There was a
1: bit of happiness, but it was entirely <laughs> selfish.
0: Um uh, but then we
1: we read this book, Trainspotting, right. which was a cult book around Scotland at the time. Yeah. Not many copies of it around. And we said, oh really? It oh yeah, a- yeah. It was a very small book. Huh. Um it's a very difficult book to read. Wonderful book. Brutal. Like, it's like Joyce, it's like you know, it's like Finnegan's Wake or, with or, heroin. or Ulysses but with heroin. It's just like a masterpiece, I think. Anyway, we said we're going to make this as our next film. And they said we were crazy. Because we'd had this hit, it had done very well, and everybody wanted us to make another one, and w- as they do. But we wanted to use the advantage we'd got from that success to make something that appeared very uncommercial. Because drug movies basically don't really attract an audience. But we wanted to make a, a film that actually showed partly the truth of it which is that people don't take drugs because they're stupid they take drugs because actually they supply something in their lives that is necessary and often uh enjoyable they're addicted and they and they get yeah. addicted yeah you know, or, or certain ones of them do yeah um anyway so it was a fascinating process setting that up yeah
0: yeah and and the comedy of it i mean the balance of the the empathy necessary to humanize you know what it really is you know desperate drug addicts at times yeah Uh, You know is, is tricky because they are the most because they're so at the whim of this of their of their needs. There, there is a humanity to it oh god yeah they're and, desperate yeah yeah, yeah. and, and, and it, you and they'll
1: do anything they're naked in front
0: of you always
1: yeah you know, like like, and, and you relate to that in front of them because you think god thank god but for the grace of god that might be me
0: yeah right yeah and and but to, to sort of engage it with with humor and the pathos necessary to not romanticize it is not it's not easy right but you know very quickly it became like you know this is hilarious these people are are, are, are troubled and 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 there's a there's a slapstick to it but but you don't walk out of there thinking like i gotta do some dope i know
1: <laughs> yeah. i know and we had that struggle early on there were a lot of critics said we were encouraging the use
0: of you know Yeah, everybody just... wants to shit the bed and let a kid die <laughs> yeah i know it's
1: like
0: <laughs> you know? i know so
1: <laughs> it was it so it had a kind of it had an internal it's weird you know some of some of the films you make they have an energy in them themselves yeah that's well, almost
0: beyond everybody else but i think you're you're very good at, at letting that happen that, you know, identifying that and let the film be defined by that instead of fighting that and, and, and having a a, a structure that, that, like, we can't, you know, I have to control this.
1: Right. Yeah, well, they, 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 there's a great, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Bertolucci said you should always leave a door open on your set mm-hmm. for real life to come in. Ah. Because you can get too occupied with the whole uh, right. edifice of it. And he always said you should make sure, and, and that was very much the feel of, of train spotting is uh-huh. that we would allow it in. I don't mean literally like mumble core realism or something
0: like that, right. but
1: that you would allow in the ridiculousness of real life to burst through sometimes.
0: Yeah, I and mean, I think it does a lot. And I think that the the, the amazing thing about your career is, and you know, after train spotting, you do a peculiar movie with uh, Life Less Ordinary, which is completely <laughs> like what, what's happening with this guy. Is he still searching for his voice? What you-
1: so that's an example when you. So what I learned on that movie, yeah. so we were very pleased with ourselves. We thought the film was very Coen-esque, uh-huh. you know. Um, oh, right, right. So you yeah, had Coen's true. again. Yeah. And anytime you do anything that's-esque, yeah. you're in trouble. Because <laughs> 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 the audiences are stupid. They go, well, this is Coen-esque. I'll go and watch the original rather than this one. You know, I'll go and watch the original, guys. It's like yeah. they felt that or, or Coen-esque. People, the critics saw that? Uh, well, it wasn't a very popular film. Nobody went to see it. Although, no, and this is true. They always there's a rule, a kind of and it's probably like a uh, something that you hang on to like a life jacket when you're drowning that when you have a movie that's a big hit, there's always one territory mm-hmm. that it doesn't work in. Right. Conversely, this is the life jacket bit. When you have a disaster, there's always one territory where it appears to work for some reason. Right. And Lifeless Ordinary was number one in Belgium for three weeks, uh-huh. which is amazing for us. Why do you think that was? Because it was a disaster everywhere yeah. else. I don't know. I think they were just had a thing for Cameron Diaz, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that's the truth of
0: it. And so you found sort of like Ewan McGregor was a, was a good leading man for you for a couple of movies. Oh, he was, yeah. A wonderful guy he's a lovely lovely man yeah. and then you go and then you do the beach with DiCaprio which was uh, there's big expectations on that movie yeah we got a bit of a kicking on that movie <laughs> you know you just get a kicking <laughs> and now and again it's quite good it's quite good for you learn a lot you know you learn a lot otherwise you're condemned to repeat your mistakes but you know? you're allowed to keep working yes yeah, I you know, know somehow but you, that's a, a real testament to your talent I think that because you did such a diversity of films so efficiently <laughs> that they're like you know this guy Boyle come around I'm just more persistent I can put with more shit than yeah. most people oh, you that, know, just got to keep going I mean, that's that irish of, thing a lot of it is
1: persistence <laughs> is <that> seriously gonna... <laughs> you just got to keep going sometimes yeah.
0: so the first you know after um uh train spotting uh, 28 days later was the big hit yes that did very well yeah, yeah i mean I, get, I went to see it and i'm not even a zombie guy
1: I know I wasn't a zombie guy either. <laughs> How did you become a zombie guy? Because the writer was Alex Garland. He's a he knew everything about the zombies. <laughs> you know, he was absolutely an aficionado. Mm-hmm. Just and I couldn't be bothered really. I, I tried to watch some of them and I didn't get it, really. But we had this idea and we wanted to make them in a different way, and we set out to make Yeah, we set out to make a film that in a funny kind of way wasn't about zombies and we kept saying we refused to call them zombies. And and but
0: what were they called? What did you call them? What were the, the infected. Yeah, the infected. Right. You know. <laughs> Right.
1: It, it seems a very small yeah. difference, but it was an important one to me. And it doesn't matter what you think; the world then takes over, and that happens with movies. Yeah. The world grabs your movie, and they decide what it's about. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, mm-hmm. and they decided right. This is the renaissance.
0: This is the beginning of the renaissance of the zombies. I think it and was *The Walking Dead*, and it was suddenly it was everywhere after yeah. that. You, know? you did that to us. I know it's your fault. It brought them back. But what was the humanity that you saw in that? What, that was not a redemptive movie necessarily either.
1: No, it's 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 it was about a family, really, a, a weird mixture of family. These these four people brought together, who travelled around Britain trying to save themselves. So mm-hmm. it was a kind of like, that for me was there was a wonderful bit in it. We had a great couple of Irish actors again. Killian mm-hmm. Murphy played the lead, amazing, and a guy called Brendan Gleeson, who's one of the great, great elderly actors. He's not that elderly; he's in his sixties yeah. now, I think, but um, or late fifties, and he. Yeah, he was the redemptiveness for me, you know, he's, he, he, because he gets infected and he, he makes sure he saves his daughter. Even though he's infected, he sacrifices right. himself. So there were moments of redemption in it.
0: No, that's, yeah, yeah that's a, that, so, that, so you saw that as a theatre person and as a guy who loves a good story, that the human element has to sort of transcend somehow.
1: Always, you've got to do that, really. Yeah, yeah. You've got to find the humanity in it. And, 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 and you're always looking, yeah, you're always looking for that because, you know, in the, in the two-hour journey of a film, you can do so much with style and cleverness and all that, but if the heart is not there, it's very, very tough. But
0: I also like the difference. I think there is a difference because in your films, and certainly as you grow as an artist, that that there, redemption doesn't necessarily mean a, a perfectly happy end. No, not necessarily. There's, no. There's, it, it just it, it, there's there's a possibility. Yes, yes. There's something that makes you feel right. if you can keep hold, but, but you can make
1: you feel good about yourself. Really. Yeah, you and even
0: what? yeah, and even in Swim Dog, you know that you know the menace of that movie. And I think that's a great testament in my mind to how you evolved as a director, you you know, being able to find the humanity. And and you seem to have a tremendous respect for writers visions, which I think is is uh, amazing. But that, you know, stylistically, you're not going to sort of just pigeonhole yourself. And then when you look at Swim Dog Millionaire. You start to think like not only is, are you collaborative as a director, but but you know you were willing to incorporate and I imagine employ many people from uh, from Indian cinema to yeah. sort of get that feeling of uh, of Bollywood and to really make that work on yeah. dance numbers and everything else. It mu- it was almost like it must have been the, the most profound collaboration you've had.
1: Oh, it was amazing because we we we'd made we'd made a foreign film before. We'd been to Thailand to make the beach, yeah, and we'd taken hundreds of c- crew from the UK. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit it's as a model for making films it doesn't work that anymore mm-hmm. it's almost like a past era like a colonialism in a way right Everybody just to go said,
0: in like this is the location yeah, the price we'll is right yeah, that, yeah right move that we'll right give
1: you all this money and like stuff apocalypse like now yeah, yeah it's kind of and what we decided to do with Slumdog, and it's a lot easier to do with Slumdog, because it has got a huge industry um uh, Bollywood is a huge industry there we took hardly anybody there were eight of us went and we everybody else was from Indian cinema and the actors the the crew and and it was wonderful, and you have to allow yourself to give yourself over to this city. you can't control this city, it's one of the worlds again craziest, you have to craziest, let the life happen, yeah, and it just comes in. I mean, you can try and hold it back. Why would you, like some crazy guy? <laughs> but you're not going to succeed. So
0: yeah, and it's like for me, like you know, I've gone through periods in my life where, where I was more cynical and more dark, and 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 was uh, begr- I would not uh, indulge uh, the the happy ending, or you, you know, like I thought like that's uh, that's lying. But you know, as you get older, you're sort of like you know, well, you know, the heart needs to be fed a little bit. It does, and if it's not being fed out in the world, maybe that's part of what movies are for, like you're saying.
1: And I hate it when it's cheap. Cheap and, yeah. to, and I, I remain cynical about when it's cheap and mm-hmm. too easy like yeah. that because it should be earned. And when it's earned, it's, then it really is something for everyone. When
0: it's earned, and you could just get somebody you couldn't help it end on a dance number, right? Well, it was like um,
1: <laughs> you just had to have it. We hadn't had a rigged dance number in the film, and it's anyway. If you're in India and you go to Indian cinema, everybody experiences everything through the dance, right? I mean, it's just like pop music here. You yeah. just it's part of your it's part of your expression. It's just uh-huh. how you think. Right. Right. In your brain, as you think in dance, uh-huh. you know all there, they uh-huh. just do. You know, <laughs> yes. everybody relates like that. And the kids, we were auditioning the kids, and they show you dance moves.
0: Oh, you had to do it,
1: you know. And so you have got to do it,
0: yeah. So, yeah. And you did it for the credits, basically. Yes, right. we put it at the credits. <laughs> you gotta honor, honor the the nation. Yes. So you go from there to like this is another weird choice. It's like now we got a guy stuck in the rock. Oh
1: yeah, Aaron Ralston, one hundred and twenty seven hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah so what drew
0: we, you to that project after something as grand as a Swam dog millionaire It was
1: the it was the change really that it because it was such, such on such a massive scale working in Mumbai mm-hmm. to suddenly be trapped in a box with this guy Do so you like I, the challenge oh of Oh god it. yeah because it is a big challenge can you especially the way we wanted to tell the story which is hardly to leave the canyon until he does to so literally be immersed in the in the experience with him Was that trapped. your idea? That was the idea yeah yeah
0: but your idea to shoot it that way, yes it was yeah as opposed to sort of maybe go to the panicky family or to to sort of yeah like... his
1: book is his but the book that it's based on is is in alternating chapters between right. the family at home and, yeah. and and worrying about him and stuff like that, and that we decided to exclude all that and just focus on the experience in the canyon itself, it's... so that when he got released from it, you would be. You would get some understanding of why. I always thought that you'll never really understand. If it's conventional, you'll never really understand the experience of how you can go and chip it's it It's still off. hard to. Yeah. And but but you I, I think get if, you were, if you were there for six days with him, you'd think just – I wanted people to think, do it. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah, and how do you step back? And, yeah. and there's an amazing moment. Franco is incredible in that film. There's an amazing moment where he does cut his arm off and he steps back. And the acting Franco does at that moment where he steps away from something he's been chained to for six days and about to die, and so he's released part, let a part of himself go in order to be released from it. It's a brilliant bit of acting.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it was. A, it's a. It's a hard movie. It, yeah, yeah. It is. <laughs> People found it tough to watch.
1: <laughs> so I remember going... I was really thrilled. So we yeah, were, we were yeah. promoting it, and they, yeah. they, they decided to do... A, ironically, given uh. the subjects of our recent film, they decided to do a screening of it at the Pixar. So I went up there, and... Um, <laughs> I was so thrilled to be arriving at Pixar because I yeah. love their movies yeah. it was just like unbelievable so we drove up and they, they, I turned up for a and a after the film so the film was showing so I turned up like 10 minutes before the end uh-huh. and there were ambulances outside Pixar oh, outside god. the screening room really? a couple of people had fainted oh, like, oh my god so we were, we were we did have a lot of people fainting but it's weird because the fainting it, which feels like very shocking and worrying I was with I was in some cinemas and people would faint and they'd be carried out And I saw them outside and one particular woman, I saw her wake up Uh and she went, she looked at me and said... Oh hello! <laughs> she was fine. Right, she went back in. <laughs> she just went back into the cinema. Well, she just reached a point where she just kind of just lost consciousness for a bit, and then she was fine. Well,
0: there are those people that can't see certain things. Yeah, so they and, block and, it out, and they, and they and that's what happens. And usually they tend to avoid those things. But but obviously it's a testament to the power of the movie. Like this is my problem. I got to go finish. I got to see if I can you. not do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the the Jobs movie in your mind. I tell you, that third act is pretty amazing. Isn't it? Cause, well, yeah, because it's, 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 it's genuine. You can like the guy's ambition and his persistence, but as a human being, he's, he's almost contemptible.
1: Yes. There's, there's, there's a certain... He's difficult to like, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, there were, there were people who are devoted to him, but by the evidence, once you present it, and certainly in Michael's performance, which is uncompromising, you, it's, fine, it's difficult within the realms of cinema to find him likable right. as such. But then he begins to become a part. He begins to be pulled apart, and you begin to find... He begins to be, you know, it's, it is Shakespearean. It's like he has a flaw, and fortunately he, he arrives at a place where he can acknowledge it, and he can hold his hand up.
0: I wonder if that happened in real life. Does anyone know?
1: I think you can, as much as we know, I think you can see that he did mellow. Yeah. And and he had, it's not our concern in this film, he obviously had a family. He yeah. had three children and uh, and a very successful and, and uh, marriage. And so he clearly did mellow. And, and from what we do know is that Lisa was although she she uh, her relationship with with him was still volatile she became part of that family and they were reconciled yes
0: yeah because that scene on the roof when you talk about flawed yeah again i don't want to spoil the movie for anybody you know it's the whole movie you know outside of all this changing the world and the images of lenin and einstein and and uh, the the sort of his knowledge of the power of what he was about to do or what he was destined to do it, it all pales you know, nothing was going to resolve the story no. like that thing on the roof in the moment with her backstage. Yes. And he's got a kind of. And it's it, unspoken yeah. in a way. It, he says one thing about it. And then you got yeah.
1: it. You got it. That was the idea. Because Sorkin is obviously all dialogue and the whole right. thing is just a, a tidal wave of incredible dialogue. Yeah. And but then it's all stripped back because there's nothing more for him to say. Well, whose decision was that? That was our decision, really. We moved towards that with You had a discussion about it. Yeah, we wanted it to become more stripped back as the film went on. It becomes more and more stripped back, and eventually you're left with, there's nothing much to I mean, he does say one thing, which is when he holds his hand up effectively to acknowledge that despite all the amazing products that he's made, Mm -hmm. which are perfect, Mm -hmm. as we know, in many ways, he is himself poorly made. So... And that's a beautiful moment. And this yeah.
0: is similar, like, in theme to, uh, to the uh, Facebook movie, isn't it? The lineage. You can see the lineage. About the communication, two. emotion, distance. These people,
1: these people who make these things that enable the world to communicate instantly and perfectly with each other are, are themselves uh uh poorly made sure yeah. and, and
0: what what was the what were some of the biggest problems you had to overcome in making this film about steve jobs
1: oh god there was we we lost a studio we
0: <laughs> oh really
1: yeah we, uh, we had a because there was the, it was it was the time of the whole sony hack you know right, right, and, sure. and, and seth rogan's mm-hmm. battle with the north koreans mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was and all that was going on and uh so it was very very complicated and we've not it's not been easy because there's been a lot of forces who prefer you not to make the film, really, because right. he's, he belongs to a very powerful company, Yeah. You know, which, has, which has control issues about keeping the control of, mm-hmm. the, of the image and the story uh-huh. of him and the myth of him. But it's really important to tell these stories because governments are frightened of these companies now. You know, they're so powerful so quickly. That the, I see it in Britain. Uber, which was only launched in 2009, is already worth $50 billion. And it comes into Britain, and the government's like this. Oh, yeah. We don't know what to do. They're yeah. upsetting the local industry, but we don't know what to do. We don't want to resist progress and right. there's such prosperity. And, and so if governments are like that, and the law, we know, is manipulable, depending on how rich you are, uh-huh. therefore artists should write about these guys. And so for Sorkin to write about these two guys... So closely together like that is an important mm-hmm. It's an important element that, you, that America, and, and Solkin is one of your national writers, I think. He really is. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. He, he should address these big, big guys. And, and in a way, what he's doing is it's not scurrilous. It's not defaming people. It's actually bringing them back down to earth. And actually, they, rem, they become part of us again. You know, because they do have a flaw, like we all have. I and
0: think we've, that's true. that have got a, stuff to work on, you and know? I can certainly appreciate that. And so, so through all the problems, uh, you and Sorkin remained, you know, solid and united. Yeah, we united. did. You know,
1: yeah, we kind of kept kept a very simple. Th- there's part of you have to be almost naive in your belief. Yeah. If you get too sophisticated, you can, uh, it won't happen. Right. You kind of remain almost childish in a belief that it can happen, mm-hmm. and if we keep going, it'll it'll work. And and you do keep going like that. And right?
0: Apple, did they lay down preconditions? Or do you, what, what eventually led them to to say, like, okay, we're okay with it?
1: I don't think they ever did. <laughs> That's the honest <laughs> truth of it. And I thought Seth was great. Wasn't he? You know, it was a good role for him. Oh, he is. Tell me something about Seth. Yeah. So he's playing a guy yeah. who, called Steve Wozniak yeah. who is an engineering genius. Yeah. It's an overused word, genius, especially yeah. when you're promoting films. Right. But um, he is an engineering genius. Okay? And he believes. He says to Jobs, "You you you can be decent and gifted at the same time." And we got this actor who's known as a comedian, and he's a comedy genius. Yeah, Seth Rogen. Yeah, he's also like Wozniak. He's a decent man as yeah, well, yeah, yeah. he really is a decent yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. And so when he says that, and in this performance, you get that sense of a genius there—someone very special, albeit in a slightly different area of the of the drama world—but who's also a decent person and he's decent and gifted at the same time and when he says that to him it really it really begins to pull apart jobs i think oh yeah you begin, begins to see some of his you know, deficiencies. I oh, guess, yeah, then. that
0: relationship and the mm-hmm. little thing that they say to each other, uh, you yeah, know, that, that little, he, he uh, Sorkin's very good at, at these repetitions of things that, uh, that really ground characters in yeah. interactions. Yeah. Uh, and also the guy who plays, um, well, obviously Winslet's amazing, and the guy from, uh, A Serious Man who played, uh, Stobart, Michael Stobart. Really great. Oh. Another, you know, just all heart.
1: Oh, God what a performance. Oh yeah, really um, stunning. Just
0: astonishing
1: that. Yeah. There's some great acting in it, you know, and it's a great it's a great story as well and it and it's non-stop and it's you you go from the kind of like this. He's a punk at the beginning, almost like tearing apart everything that stands in his way, and then he goes through this second part that's a oh, guile
0: and cunning. Oh, Jeff and, Daniels says. what's his name? Uh, and he has that scene with Jeff what's Daniels. What's his name? John Scully. Yeah, John he's, Scully. He's, Daniels is like so great. What? He's such a like he's not underrated, but he's it's always good to see him in films. Yes, it is. Yeah. And what's the new project you're working on? Train Spotting Two. No. Yes. Really? Yeah. They're all back. <laughs> the ones <laughs> they, that are, lived? they will be. Oh, good and the, What's ones it that, called? the ones that
1: are alive it's, well if we can get James Cameron to agree it's called T2 oh really come on <laughs> no seriously <laughs> we're doing it it's 20 years later okay and they're still together and we've got this amazing script by the original writer John Hodge who did the original screenplay okay and yeah we're going to do that next
0: alright well it was great talking to you I know you got to get going and uh, thanks for coming by Mark thank you it was lovely did we pack some stuff into that I believe we did Good conversation, good guy, good movie, and I mean, I'm not, I don't have to say that. I'd go see it again. I'm going to probably have to see it again because the girl didn't see it. So, uh, what do we got? What do we got? The oh yeah, the music remix of my uh, of my riffage on today's show was done by Paul Buck. Check him out at facebook.com/slash Paul Buck Music. Uh, go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Uh, here's a little heads up: more of Brian Jones's WTF. Hand-thrown mugs are on sale this Monday, December 14th at 12 noon uh, Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Make sure you go to brianrjones.com at that time if you want one. Oh, the holidays are upon us. They're upon us. Can I play some fucking music? Oh, my God.